Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, Old Crossing Church, how are you doing today? You doing all right? Oh, it's good. It is so good. I'm so glad that you are here today, that we have the opportunity to be together. Because when we gather together, the Holy Spirit is in our midst. He's in this place. It changes everything. I want to welcome all of our campuses joining from all across this region. We are so thankful for each and every one of you and the amazing work you do to build the kingdom of our Lord until he comes back to take us home. That is so exciting when we get to share. And if you are inside, a part of our inside family, you know that we're praying for you and we love you and we are wanting to encourage you and, and you encourage us uh, every single week when we get to pray for you and uh, just looking for that to expand as well. And if you're online, we're so thankful for you as well. And uh, look forward to that day that we get to be able to uh, join together together in one space and, and be able to experience the Lord together, you know, and just look at each other's faces. And God's doing that. He's opening us up and, and it's wonderful to, to experience that uh, together. How many of you think that... Um, Unity is something that we need to be working on right now. What do you think? How many, can I see? Yeah, yeah, I get a witness for that. Yeah, unity is something that's in short supply in our culture right now. Isn't that true? It really is. I mean, most of us would probably say, I don't know if it's ever been worse in my lifetime. And that is exactly why I am so glad that uh, Mark Moore is going to come and he's going to talk about unity and he's gonna talk about like the difference uh, that being part of the body of Christ can make, and what it can actually do, uh, and how it can change the world around us. I'm so excited about that. Now, Mark Moore, he's Dr. Mark Moore, and uh, I had the privilege of going to school with Mark. He was, uh, I think, a year behind me in, in school, but ahead of me in every other way, uh, but definitely a year behind me in school, and. Uh, uh, Mark, when he, when he was at school, absolutely loved learning. I mean, I, I have never seen such a learning junkie. Every time I saw him, he was following a professor around like a puppy dog. And he was just trying to get the best they had. And that's never changed. That, I don't think that's ever changed in your life. You've been that guy who's always been hungry to learn, and that's where those degrees came from, that desire. He's written some incredible books, uh, the, one of the best books, if not the best book, that I've ever experienced with regards to the life of Christ, the book of Acts, incredible stuff. Well, the, the reason that he's here speaking uh, this week and next week is because of Core 52. The series we've been going through, these series, uh, from January all through this year are all based on his book, Core 52. These 52 key verses and theological concepts that we can just nail down in our lives. And I tell you, he has got such a passion for people to be in the word of the Lord because when you are, it changes people. It will change you. So I want you to give a crossing welcome at all of our locations to Dr. Mark Moore. Come on up here. Love you, brother. Love you too, man. Well, don't, 
don't say this out loud because I don't want Jerry to get a big head, but I've been, I've been wanting to preach at this church for a long, long time. And it's a joy. You, you guys came today ready like for church. Am I right? Come on. Um, I had an experience. I wasn't even planning on, on saying this in the message, but I like you, so I will. When, when I was doing my, uh, my last degree, I was living in Prague, and there was a group of women who had come and visited from the Middle East. And I was headed out of the, the apartments where I was living, it was on the seminary campus, and there was this line of, of, of women who had come uh, all from Israel. Half of them were Jewish, half of them were Arab, all of them were Christians. And when, when I was greeting them, I was just going down the road saying, where are, you, where are you from? She says, well, I'm from Israel, I'm Arab. I'm from Israel, I'm Jewish. They literally sat one after another, intermingling together. CNN will never tell that story. Because the only peace in the Middle East is with Christians. The only Arabs and Jews that are getting along together are Christians. And you know where that goes back to? The first century church. So can we have a conversation about unity? Of all the things that Christians should be experts in in our world for today, and Jerry's already mentioned it, we are a divided nation. We of all people should have the loudest voice about unity. So let me start with a story. Uh, several weeks ago, I got a call. It was 9.30 at night, I was already in bed, don't judge me. So I ignored the call. And then a few minutes later, my phone rang again. So I thought, well, I better see who it is. And it was a friend of mine, Larry. So I ignored him. <laughs> I didn't say he was a good friend. No, he actually is a really good friend, but it, that was in bed. So I put the phone down. Uh, a couple minutes later, it rings again. Larry. So I thought, Larry's in trouble. So I, Larry's not his real name, by the way, but we're going to call him Larry. I pick up the phone. I said, oh, what's up? He was devastated crying, grown man crying. He was two blocks from my house. He only lived four blocks from my house. And the reason he was two blocks from my house is because he had wrecked his car. And the reason he wrecked his car is that he and his wife, their marriage was in trouble and they got in a huge blowout argument. Now, Larry does not have a drinking problem. He's not a drunk. This was out of character for him. But every time his wife said something that made him mad to make her angrier, he just took a shot. She made a lot of really good points in that argument. I'm just going to say that. And so he's just like, you know, shooting the back, doesn't even realize how drunk he is. She, by the way, if you're arguing with the spouse, this is not the strategy I would suggest if you want to win the argument. So he gets mad, he's gonna to go to a hotel, throw some things in a suitcase, throws on the back of the car, and he just guns it out of the neighborhood. He almost made it out of the neighborhood. He missed the curve, but hit the curb, went up into, the, I live in Phoenix, by the way, it went into the desert, and he hit a saguaro cactus. Those are the big ones, with the big arms. They're exactly like dogwoods. They have white flowers, well, just on the top, not like all over, and they don't have any leaves, and they have a lot of spiky things. But other than that, they're exactly like dogwoods. <laughs> he hits one of those, which you don't do that. You don't mess with a saguaro. Like where we live, they're sacred. And so the neighbors, he totaled his car. He can't go anywhere. He can't go back home because he already burned that bridge. So there he is on the side of the curb, and somebody called the cops because somebody ran into a saguaro. So three squad cars come, and he's still sitting on the side of the road. 
and they want to give him a breathalyzer. Well, my friend Larry's black. He grew up in a ghetto, like gang-banging ghetto, and he made it out through his athletic abilities. A phenomenal college athlete. He got a lot of praise and accolades from that. And then he, he's actually right now an executive for American Express. We're talking about a highly educated, a high-paid executive who's afraid of the cops. I don't even care what your opinion is on that, because it's not my experience. I'm not black. I've not had to live through that. This is his experience, his fear. And the, the police officers there, he said, I don't want you to breathalyze me without a witness. My pastor lives right around the corner. I'm going to call him and have him come. And they said, well, what church do you go to? And he said, well, Christ Church of the Valley. And the <laughs> sergeant said, me too. He's my pastor too. So uh, he's going to call Pastor Mark, have him come. And so I walked the two blocks, and there he was. Uh, they explained the situation. I said, okay, well, let's do the breathalyzer. He was drunk. There's just no denying it. So they put handcuffs on him. He was so ashamed, so embarrassed. And they put him in the back of the squad car. So I helped the officers clean out the car, because this total is going to be pulled off. So we got everything he possessed out of the car, kids' car seats, and we took him over to the house. And by the time I came back, the sergeant said, Are, would you be able to, to stick around for about 15 more minutes? Yeah, absolutely. Been there about 45. They were going to take him down to the station. I was going to have to go get him about two in the morning. And the sergeant came back. He, he made a decision. I've never, I, I don't know about law enforcement, so I'm not an expert in this, but the decision he made was that Larry would be better and our community would be better in the hands of a pastor than in the system. So he, he pulled Larry out, he took the handcuffs off, and he said, Larry, I know you're driving the car. You told me you're driving the car, but I didn't see you drive the car, so in our country, you're innocent until proven guilty. So I'm gonna release you to your pastor, and you know why I'm, like he couldn't say it out loud, but he said, you know why I'm doing this. And so I took Larry to my house, I laid him on the couch, I took his, took his shoes off, and for about two hours he just whimpered, finally fell asleep. About two in the morning I woke him up, put his shoes back on him, and walked him to his house. But it's, it bothered me why a man of his stature would be so riled up When we've really, we have, come, we have come a long way, haven't we, in racial reconciliation? Now, I'm not saying we don't have a long way to go. We do. But why now, why this year has such tension exploded? Press pause on that thought. Come, come over to the political scene. <laughs> Hello. It's no different between Republicans and Democrats. This why now, why here, is there such explosion? And what I'm about to say, I'm not justifying, like I'm, I'm not making excuses for anything, but I will tell you this, there is a scientific reason why we are so spun up about everything. It doesn't matter what the issue is on the table. It could be Black Lives Matter. It could be Blue Lives Matter. It could be Republicans. It could be Democrats. It could be CNN or Fox News. But let me tell you what is making the problem way worse than it needs to be. Now, anyone, you can like raise your hand on all our campuses. Anyone seen The Social Dilemma? That, that documentary on Netflix messed me up. 
Because what they showed is there are algorithms in every social media platform. If you're on Google, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Instagram, no matter where, if you're on Netflix, wherever you go, there's an algorithm that knows you better than you know you. And there's one scene where the algorithms were personified. So they had three guys in a studio. There's all kinds of buttons and knobs and, and TV screens. And they're studying this one user. And he's there looking on his phone. And they're basically saying, okay, how can we keep him on his phone as long as possible so that he will buy more? That is what the social dilemma is all about. And they have mastered it. And the more you're online, the better they get at keeping you online. They know what buttons to push. They know what ads to give you. But the consequence of that is they know what you want to hear. So you go online and you Google something. If I Google something and you Google something, you will get different results because they know what you want to hear. So the consequence is we're all hearing what we want to hear, and we think that everybody's hearing the same thing, and we're not. So someone watches Fox News, the other person watches MSNBC, and the person who watches MSNBC is like, I can't believe those people are so stupid that they don't know this. And the people watching Fox say, but I can't believe you're so stupid, you've never heard this. So our families, like Thanksgiving for me is a terrible time now. Anyone else? You just can't even be in the same room with these people because they're so stupid. <laughs> and we're convinced that we have all the information and everybody else is somehow mentally deficient. What has happened? Please hear me say this on all our campus. This is so important. Some of you are going, what does this have to do with the Bible? You're about to find out. We are past the point of civil dis discourse. We are now incapable of having a conversation with another person because everyone has in their ear what they want to hear and everybody else is wrong. We cannot have a civil conversation. That's why more than ever, the church of Jesus Christ has to be, please hear me say this, has to be the source of unity in our nation or God help us because nobody else is. So I'm going to share two passages of Scripture with you. One will tell you why the problem is worse than you think, or more important than you think, and the other is going to give you an actual solution. How can you create unity? This will work in your bridge club. This will work on your sports team. This will work in your church. This will work in your community. It's the same strategy. It's God's strategy for unity. Okay, so here's Scripture number one. This comes from the life of Jesus, in fact, the, the last night of his life, he prays a prayer, longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the Bible, John 17, the whole chapter is one prayer. We get down to verse 20, and Jesus says, he's talking to God, uh, I do not ask for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they also may be in us, so that, listen, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. How are we doing? Look, I drove up Main Street in Quincy, Illinois, and I noticed all the different churches along that corridor. How are we doing with unity? Pretty poorly. If the church cannot be unified, 
How will the world know the one God that we know? Brothers and sisters, I'm laying down the gauntlet. If we don't stand together as body of believers, I expect the world to be at each other's throat. I expect the world to hate each other. I expect politicians to undercut each other. I don't expect it in the church. And if the church forfeits our divine right, our divine responsibility to be the unity of God in our world, how will we ever have unity across any other divide, economic, gender, cultural, or ethnic? This is our responsibility, and we need to get better at it. In fact, let me share something else with you. And this is gonna sound heretical, so save your darts till later. God said yes to the prayer. Jesus said, Lord, may they be one in us, as I am in you and you are in me, may they be one. God said yes. You said no. This is the only prayer that Jesus ever prayed that you are more capable of answering than God the Father. I know it sounds like, how can you even say that? Because God answers all prayers. No, God gave you free will. And you have the free will to be unified or not to be unified. If you're on one of our campuses and you have a division with another group or another group of people, this is on you. And the stakes are higher than your personal preference for your political position or your cultural background. The stakes are this, that there are lost people who will go to hell because you can't get along. Your opinion is not that important. It's certainly not as important as the unity of the church, and it is certainly not as important as the salvation of people who will not come to Christ if the church continues to be divided. It's that important. So that's how high, that's how high it is, okay? So let's, let's actually talk about the solution to this. The Apostle Paul makes a statement in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. Paul said that in the first century, when racism was far deeper than it is today in our country, than sexism and ageism and the economic divide was far greater than in our nation right now. Do you know that in all of the Roman world, there was one organization and only one that had male and female, rich and poor, slave and free, citizen and non-citizen in one room at the same time. My son is a, is a family pastor at a little church in Loganville, Georgia called Corinth Christian Church. Corinth Christian Church. Clayton, I have no idea why you would ever name a church Corinth Christian Church. Like of all the churches in the New Testament, this church was more screwed up than any other church. You know why? Because they had more diversity than any other church. They had rich and poor, slave and free, different ethnicities. And I just want to commend this church. I, when I said earlier that I've been longing to preach at this church, it, it, that's, that's not a hyperbole. And one of the reasons is there is no church reaching, that I know of reaching a greater diversity of economics. Did you know that on your campuses, you have, this is unbelievable, there's greater ethnic diversity on your campuses than in the communities where you live. That is really cool. 
So it's not, it's not all bad. In fact, as I travel around the country and I see other churches, the church is doing better than ever at diversity. And you know why that is? I'm about to show you. This is a, this is a passage from uh, Ephesians chapter 4. It says, let me get to it here, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one in God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now let me just pause there for, for a second and say, the only hope for unity, and I don't care what your religious background is or what your cultural background is, the only time human beings are naturally unified is when there is something above their differences that is more important than their personal preferences. Can I say that again? The only time you will have unity in humanity is when there is something above their differences that is more important to them than their preferences. Let me give you two examples. Football fields, not the locker room, football fields. When you're playing in a football game, let's say you get to the championship, I don't care what color your quarterback is, what color the receivers are. The only color you care about is the jersey. Because if you can help me win, I might hate you in the locker room. But when we have a goal that's bigger than our differences, that's more important than our preferences, then we will drive to that goal together. So the, the athletic field and then the battlefield. I don't care what color your skin is. I care what color your uniform is. I care what direction your gun is pointing. And when the church points their guns at each other, it's because we've forgotten who the real enemy is. We've got to do better than our culture around us. Listen, they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Word of God. They don't have access to the wisdom and truth through which unity will take place. So if you care about different ethnicities, and you do, I know you do. If you care about different genders, and you do, I know you do. If you care about different economics, and I know you do, you're putting it into practice as a church, then for God's sake, make sure that there's one Lord in this church so that all people will have equal access to our great God. Fair enough? Okay. That's the easy part. Here's the hard part, how? God has a brilliant but simple strategy for unity. And it is, I'm gonna keep reading in the verse. If I could just read verse seven. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It's called spiritual gifts. Down in verse 11, he's gonna start identifying some of the very specific gifts, prophecy teaching, speaking in tongues. You've heard about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? If you look through all the New Testament, this is my professor hat coming on now, there are three passages that list the gifts. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Put them all together, take every, every item on every lift, you get 16 different gifts of the Holy Spirit. So what people tend to do is they will combine the list and they'll give you a survey and say, which of these gifts are your spiritual gifts? Problem, your gift might not be on the list. Here's why. The lists in the Bible were never intended to be complete lists. It's not like a pilot checking the list to take off the plane. I want him to have a complete list, trust me. 
But the list of, say, the, the, the requirement for elders, we have a different list in Titus than we do in First Timothy. Were they different qualifications? No. The list is a portrait to be painted. The list of sins in Colossians 3 is different than in 1 Corinthians. Does it mean that there are different sins going on in those two? No. It's a portrait being painted. Does this make sense? The fruit of the Spirit. That's not the only fruit of the Spirit. So the gifts. Let me, let me list to you several gifts that are not in the Bible, but we all agree they're spiritual gifts. Here's one. Music. Would anybody disagree that the musicians on our stages, on your campus, those musicians were gifted by God to lead you to his throne? No, that's pretty clear. How about counselors? God knows we need them, and I'm not one of them. They're not my gift. But we need them. It's never listed in the Bible. Humor. I happen to think I'm hilarious. <laughs> and your opinion doesn't really matter much to me about that. I think I'm funny, other might disagree, but humor is never in a spiritual gift list in the Bible. But Solomon said, laughter is good medicine. So apparently Clayton is a doctor. <laughs> Amen. Do you know what the very first spiritual gift was ever given? Not in the New Testament, it's the Old Testament. The first spiritual gift ever given was to a guy named Bezalel. He's, he's listed in Exodus and his, his specific gift in Exodus 31, 2 through 5 is to construct the tabernacle of God. He was gifted with color coordination, working with different fabrics and materials, arranging things. I swear, if Bezalel was alive today, he would be on HGTV. <laughs> the guy just has the touch. Some of you are gifted at interior design, and you never believed it was a spiritual gift. So how could you know? This is an important question. How could you know your spiritual gift if it's not listed in the Bible? All right, huddle up here. I'm gonna tell you in 15 seconds, you can time me when I say go, 15 seconds, I'm gonna tell you how to know for sure what your spiritual gift is. You ready? Go. Walk into a room. Look around. See what needs to be done that you could do with excellence and would want to do. That's your spiritual gift. You want me to say it again? Walk into a room. See what you notice that others don't notice, that you want to do and could do with excellence. That's your spiritual gift. Now, in that simple statement are a couple of really important truths. Some of you are saying, well, I, you know, I've always been good at this. Maybe I've always had a knack for speaking. I've always had a knack for interior design. I've always had a knack with numbers. That's not a spiritual gift, that's a natural gift. Time out. There are some gifts that I, I just believe, some of the miraculous gifts the Holy Spirit gives after you're baptized. And we see people who maybe spoke in tongues, or people in the Bible who prophesied, or wh whatever they did. But the vast majority are spiritual gifts, not given at baptism, but given at birth. They are natural gifts at birth that become spiritual gifts, not when the Spirit gives them to you, but when you give them back to the Spirit. Paul makes a statement that all spiritual gifts are to serve the body. 
They're intended to be given to the body. And if you're not serving someone with your, with your gift, it's not spiritual, it's just a natural ability. But the minute you give your natural ability to the body of Christ, it becomes a spiritual gift. That should encourage some of you because some of you have been saying, well, and I want to serve the church, I want to do this, but I just don't know if this is, like maybe, I, you know, I'm good with cooking. Are you kidding me? Do you know that every meal in the entire Bible is spiritual? That's, that is a, you could turn your dinner table into an altar for God to do his work in somebody else's life. You could use your ability with making money. That is a spiritual gift. But think about this. The making of money, there, there's some people that are just, they're just good at it. If you think that God gave you that gift because he likes you, you'll spend the money on you. God never gave you a gift because he likes you. He gave you a gift because he loves someone else. And he wants to love someone else through you. And here's what happens. If all of us had all the gifts, none of us would be dependent on each other. But when the Holy Spirit decided to withhold all the gifts but one or two from everyone else but you, like you have your gift, and everyone else has their gift, suddenly you get in a room and you go, I, I need that, I need your help with that and I become dependent on you, and you become dependent on me, and we become dependent on them. The idea of mutual service for mutual dependence so that all of us could make the name of Jesus famous, that is how unity is built in our community. And so one of the things that I have loved seeing through this church in particular, is the way that you have just poured into the community and said, we're gonna be a church that focuses on reaching people in our community who are hurting, who are lost, who are poor, who are hungry. Because what you're saying to them is not, this is not a statement of benevolence, we're gonna take care of you. You're saying, we respect your humanity, we need your ability, come join us. So what are you gonna do about it? I appreciate your affirmation, be clapping every now and then and looking and nodding. I appreciate that. But that doesn't change anything. Our world is desperately divided. And yet I see Christians in the church taking sides over issues that will be of no consequence in eternity. Isn't it time, starting with the crossing, that in our communities, that we put a stake in the ground and say, we are not going to be distracted by diversions of, of politics or social or culture, but we are going to care for people because they have something to offer to the body of Christ. So here's my question, very simple question. What are you gonna do about it? Not in theory, but on your campus. How are you going to serve a church to walk into the room and look around and say, what needs to be done that I could do? Like, I would enjoy doing that, and I could do it with excellence. That's your spiritual gift. And without your spiritual gift, there's part of the body of Christ that will not be fully mature and fully unified, meaning somebody won't know Jesus if everybody isn't doing their part to serve the body of Christ. What is your gift? It's time to make a decision. I mean, right now. And on your campus, 
you're going to see some leaders in front, and they want to hear what your gift is. It may take a, it could take a while to get, to get everybody involved. It may take a while to create a space for that. And listen, listen, listen I need to say this, because I know what happens at my church. Someone says, hey, I've got this ministry, so what are you going to do to make my ministry work? No, if God called you, that's on you, not me. You make a way, and we'll get out of the way so Jesus can have his way. It's time to move into a time of decision. What's your gift? Let's make that decision right now. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.